millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's, and leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Tragically, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of these incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. Please set yourself reminders on your cell phone or place something you'll need in the back seat so you don't forget your child. Always look for your baby before you lock. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome in as Hurricane Ida struck the Gulf Coast earlier this week, made its way up through the United States and continued to wreak havoc, uh, spreading amazing flooding rains to the New York City area and Boston. Quite a week of weather that we are going to document here on this week's edition of Everything Under the Sun. Our original plan for our first back-to-school episode was to do a 3D segment. We're still going to do that. The 3D segment with Danielle Niddle and Dave Dombeck and myself answering some of the questions that you asked on Twitter and online over the last couple of weeks. We will get to that. But up first, in our first Rays of Focus segment, a little breakdown of what happened with Ida and what we expect on the weather on this weekend ahead and week beyond as we clean up from that amazingly and in places devastating storm. That's coming up. So sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun. And as we welcome you into this first episode of our Back to School series here on Everything Under the Sun, as we said, we will be getting to some questions and answers in our 3D segments coming up. But normally here on Everything Under the Sun, we typically do the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond segment last. But with everything going on this week, we felt that it was really important to talk about what has happened with the most recent tropical system that we've dealt with, Ida on top of Henri and Fred and where we may be going with that. Talk about why Ida did what it did and the impacts. And I'm joined by our Director of Forecast Operations, meteorologist Dan DePodwin. And Dan, as we've been talking about here in the last uh, 24 hours or so, I mean, it's staggering to think about this storm, how bad it was coming on to the Gulf Coast here earlier in the week, made its way up through the uh, Appalachians, bringing flooding rains to parts of the northeast, inland parts of the northeast, and then almost like a bomb went off in the storm as it just kind of uh, really ramped up, and we're seeing the amazing after effects around New York City and even up into Boston, some historic flooding and problems. wanted to spend a few minutes with you, Dan, to kind of break down exactly what happened. I mean, obviously started out as one of the most powerful hurricanes ever to hit uh, the United States, especially in the modern era here. And uh, those folks down in the Gulf Coast, I know I have family in Biloxi and they're struggling. Um, 
certainly over in Louisiana, amazing. And then it just kept on going. Yeah, Dean. I mean, it really, it will go down as one of the top five, top 10 hurricane impacts in the United States, I would think, given the, the large swath of impacts all the way from from Louisiana through the south into the Appalachians and northeast. And every tropical system is different, but this one really brought a, a lot of different types of threats, a storm surge at landfall, the damaging winds at landfall, and then the flooding, the freshwater flooding threat, uh, not just around New Orleans and that region, but well inland. And then what we saw Wednesday night across the northeast with just really record-setting flash flooding uh, from Philadelphia up through Trenton, uh, central New Jersey into the New York City area, Connecticut and Massachusetts. And that really is an, an, an interesting part of the storm, the combination of not just the tropical system, Ida, but how it worked with the uh, sort of other system coming in from the west that really sort of amplified it and made it uh, be what it was in the northeast with the record-setting rainfall. So when we're talking about tropical system, we're talking about a closed low, borne over water that's uh, its own separate situation. And that comes in, makes landfall, and typically what we see with those is it holds its rotation, it holds its spin, it really becomes what we call at AccuWeather Tropical Rainstorm, is it weakens the winds, but a lot of times can produce just as much flooding rain inland as it has when it's impacted the coast. What happened here is, as it's kind of weakening in that one aspect, it gets an infusion of energy. This is a similar scenario that we see in big winter storms, right, where you have an area of low pressure that's coming um, maybe towards the coast, and then all of a sudden this upper-level piece of energy kind of infuses it with energy, and it blows up, and that's why we can get big coastal snowstorms. And this is kind of that uh, situation, although the the difference was all of the tropical moisture and summer atmospheric moisture that we have available at that point really just blew up. And, you know, you talked about rainfall rates. We had set a record just 12 days before. Henri put down the most rain in an hour in New York City ever, only to see that crushed over three inches, I think, between 10 and 11 o'clock Wednesday night in New York City and Central Park itself. Amazing rainfall rates that, you know, you can say we see them once in 500 years, but we've been seeing them more frequently, not to this grand extent, but it's starting to get more frequent that we see these kinds of situations. Absolutely. And if you look at the last three weeks in New York City, I think they've picked up over 16 inches of rain in just three weeks. And it and so between that and the fact that it really was an unusual situation with that infusion of a separate storm into Ida and taking a look at the satellite on, I guess it would have been on, on Wednesday morning, you would have, it looked like a snowstorm unfolding. If you didn't know what time of year it was, you might have thought it was a snowstorm. And it really had a lot of similarities to that. And you saw those really impressive rainfall rates that led to what occurred. I think for me as a meteorologist who is uh, tasked with communicating, it's hard, you know, it was always hard to communicate storms and their types and their impacts. But what I see happening is storms are getting more hybrid, where they start as one kind of storm, and then they get uh, um, another infusion of uh, energy or another characteristic. And they'll a lot of times we're seeing these strengthening coastal lows and those kinds of things. So it's hard to to tell people that, you know, they hear words like tropical storm or hurricane or whatever. They have one mindset about what that's supposed to be. But yet, as we get longer in the course of that storm, especially as it's interacting with things like we see over land and other pieces of energy, it becomes 
more of a traditional storm, but its impacts are as bad, if not worse, in some scenarios. Yeah, and I think, you know, as as humans, we like to have context about what these types of events can do. And unless you've seen what three to six inches of rain or four to eight inches of rain can do before, it's hard to sort of visualize what that is. Snow is much easier. You can see it accumulate. Rain goes into the rivers and streams. And it's harder to, I think, under sort of contextualize the impact of that type of rain in that short of period. And if you haven't seen it before, you don't really know what can happen, and that's what unfolded. Yeah, I think we. some of us have always been in that. I was just uh, in D.C. a couple of uh, a month or so ago, and they had one of those kind of localized flash flooding events where we got two and a half inches in, in an hour and, uh, and just the city flooded out. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I think, you know, that key stat is we got as much rain in about six to eight hours with Ida in the heart of this Wednesday night into early Thursday morning as we had over a two-and-a-half-day period with Henri the amounts are about the same, but the impacts because of the shorter amount of time are are so much uh, so much worse. And I think uh, as we're going to be doing here over the next couple of days, you know, and a lot of people are going to want to compare this to other storms. But you know, you know, you think Superstorm Sandy. Well, that was a situation where it was storm surge and wind driven flooding. You can get more typical tropical systems up along the eastern seaboard. I mean, in some ways, I guess. Uh, Henri was like that, although there was a second piece of Henri that came through on the second day after the main part had gone by that kept New York in the flooding situation. So, you know, these are contextual situations that we're going to have to keep going because I don't think this kind of storm is uh, is going to slow down. I think we may end up seeing this more and more frequently here as the climate does change. And, and there's there's certainly... Uh, you know, we're seeing this type of storm in whatever, if it's a multi-decadal cycle or whatever, that we're seeing those more and more. And I don't know, Dan, I, I think uh, all of us in the weather office, I mean, we've worked hard over the last few weeks, at least here as we kind of transition now to take a weather for the look at this weekend and the week beyond. We do get a break. Thankfully, um, I'm looking at our weekend uh, pattern situation and we're seeing dry, cool air coming. In fact, a little taste of fall up into the northeast but the key is that the places that got hit hardest, like New York and Boston and those areas, pretty much dry this weekend. There may be a couple of showers, maybe one in northern New England on Friday afternoon, and then there may be something coming through. I think mostly on Sunday it looks like the best chance for the New York City area. Uh, Labor Day should be okay. Um, all eyes then also out on the Atlantic. There is a storm out there that we're watching over the weekend. Its name is Larry. and. Unfortunately, as I've been watching the tracks on that, the, the forecast track is starting to come farther west a little bit at a time here. Yeah, I think, you know, on the northeast side of things, there's going to be good cleanup weather. And the fact that, you know, I think there's any rain that happens over the weekend is, is nowhere close to what happened during Ida. So that that's obviously good news. And it looks like overall the nation is on the quieter side of things yes. in the next five to seven days. The 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 uh, heat in the west, though, continues with the, the fire threat out there. Uh, not as much wind, which is good. And as you mentioned later, Area is well out in the Atlantic, so something to watch. But Bermuda could be impacted by the middle to end of next week. And then always have to watch storms near Bermuda to see if they recurve and go out to sea as the majority do. Or does a area of high pressure to the north of them try to block their exit and end up going closer to the coast? Which is kind of what happened with Henri. I mean, we thought at one point it was going to go easily out to sea. We got one of those blocking highs and all of a sudden Henri was being uh, kind of forced back towards uh, the mainland. Yeah, the fire situation continues to be awful out west. I mean, um, continue to see these stories about these record uh, amounts of uh, coverage and acres. Had a pretty big wind event at times this past week, and 
uh, made it worse. But you're right. I think the winds come down. The heat's still there. The dryness is still there. But we could be months in this, uh, into winter with some of these wildfires going the way they are. Yeah, I mean, the fire season continues for several more months. And in fact, it usually doesn't peak uh, if there is a peak anymore, which seems like it's all blurred together into one peak season out west right now. But the as you head further south into Southern California, parts of the uh, desert southwest, they're prime time for fires is usually later September into October as you get more of those wind events uh, and sometimes the Santa Ana wind events in Southern California. So we're definitely nowhere near the end of fire season in the West. So some of the key takeaways is the weather pattern overall for the country is going to be quiet as we go through this weekend into the early part of next week. Certainly quieter than it's been the last couple of weeks. That's good news. Flooding situation will improve over the weekend, but just be careful. There's still some water, especially as this drops on Friday, that still has to come through that system. So, you know, we're maybe and we were hearing this uh, Thursday morning um, that, you know, places that weren't necessarily flooded with the initial kick of Ida started to start seeing some flooding three, four, five, six hours after that. So as you go through this weekend, make sure you're using caution, especially as you uncover things that you didn't see before because of the flooding and those kinds of things. You may uncover more problems. So keep it locked to AccuWeather, AccuWeather.com, our app. You know, one last quick thing, Dan, I know you and John Porter, our chief meteorologist, and all of our management, I mean, we've had some people that have been working amazing hours and in this stormy situation and i know we're all proud of uh, the job that we've been doing and and a lot of credit to folks who are working hard to keep people weatherproofed and as safe as possible absolutely dean very proud of the team here at accuweather the operational meteorology team and our state college and wichita offices that have done work uh, through three of these major storms fred Henri, and now ida and also across the weather community who've done a lot of work to help people prepare and then also be informed during these uh, really s- significant disasters that, are, that have unfolded. Yeah, we say that all the time. We're so uh, fortunate in this country to have an amazing weather enterprise between the public sector with the National Weather Service, the university and educational sector and the private sector, companies like AccuWeather and others that all seem to work together to get the message out. Director of Forecast Operations, Dan DePodwin, thanks for joining us. We're going to take a break and when we come back, we'll get into our 3D segment. Some questions and answers generated by you. The questions, Danielle Niddle, Dave Dombeck, and myself will give you the answers. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Friends, welcome back into Everything Under the Sun. Again, this is our Back to School series kickoff episode here in 2021. We'll take you through the fall, getting you ready for fall activities and weatherproofing your life. Obviously, again, we appreciate Dan DePodwin stopping by. You can go back to that first segment and get a little recap on Ida and some of the weather for the weekend ahead and the week beyond. Now we're going to do what we had originally planned to do in this first back-to-school episode. You know, folks are going back to school, the youngsters, well, it's never too old to learn something. And we know a lot of people have had questions about the weather. So we put this together, this idea to take three of our meteorologists, Danielle Niddle, Dave Dombeck, and myself were the three Ds. And we're going to try to give you an A answer with some of the meteorological questions that you gave to us over the last week. So sit back, relax, Maybe you'll hear your question answered here in our 3D segment on Everything Under the Sun. So it is good to get the 3Ds together, Dave and Danielle. I know this D, Dean, has been uh, darn tired uh, and uh, weary. It's It's been um, a stretch of weather that has been taxing on um, 
certainly those of us who have to do this for a living, certainly taxing on those who have had to deal with this extraordinary weather, heat, fires, and all kinds of stuff. Um, how are you guys doing, uh, Danielle? It's, it, it's been tough, right, to be an yeah. operational meteorologist in all of this right now? Right. Yeah. I was going to say, there's been some uh, long, long days, that's for sure. So uh, working here with the uh, especially recent landfalling, uh, three landfalling systems that we've had in the last couple of weeks or so here in the tropics. So it, it's been busy. As you said, it's been tiring for me personally. The, I'm getting a little bit of a break here at the end of the week with vacation in sight to kind of recharge those batteries for the end of the tropical season. But uh, it, it, it's been definitely a, a tough uh, summer here, Dean, that's for sure. Yeah. And Dave, you've been in, uh, long uh, around a little longer than both Danielle and I. And uh, I, I don't know, though, even in the 25 years I've worked at AccuWeather, the 55 years I've been alive and <laughs> sensing weather and enjoying weather, uh, it's been an incredible stretch. I mean, even for someone who's been around the block even longer than you have, pretty pretty incredible stuff we've been witnessing here in the last couple of months. I was going to say it's the summer version of winter 2021. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. yes. But I, think, I, I, could, I could see Danielle is happy. She's got a smile on her face because she's looking forward to going down to Myrtle Beach here soon, yeah. right? Yeah. That's right. See if I, I can just, get my string of tropical systems to break here or so after the last three years. <laughs> well, I, I just, I it was funny because I left on a vacation, went to the Poconos, and when I left that past Wednesday, there was no talk about Ida at all. And then while I was away, it just blew up into this most significant hurricane, one of the most to, to uh, make landfall in the United States. And, you know, we're going to be dealing with Ida all the way up until when this podcast drops here at the beginning of the uh, the Labor Day weekend. So we'll certainly deal with that. But um, we're going to take a break from kind of uh, that mundane situation and have a little fun here, answering questions that have been identified to us through um, a, a survey that we did on Twitter and some other things and people submitting them. And you know, one of the, the questions, one of the leading groups of questions about weather is about the thing that got me into weather, really. Thunderstorms and lightning is probably one of the, the main things, snowstorms secondary. But um, let's talk a little bit about lightning. We've talked a awful lot about this in our podcast here, Everything Under the Sun. But uh, it really comes to fruition and, and top of the mind because as we're producing this podcast earlier this week, uh, the, the terrible news that a lifeguard on the Jersey Shore just south of Seaside Heights in Jersey lost his life. Several others injured when the lightning struck in the afternoon. I think it was past Monday. And uh, so it, it's really important, Dave and Danielle, to make sure that people understand the dangers and are always kind of keeping that in the back of their mind. Lightning is a serious thing. We're all, being a meteorologist, you really learn to respect lightning. Well, you know, one of the uh, questions that we get all the time or so, a, a popular uh, one out there is, can lightning strike the same place twice? And the answer is absolutely yes, as oftentimes with uh, a single bolt of lightning, we'll actually see that bolt strike the ground multiple times during that one strike. And it's something that we see all the time, too. You look at the cities, uh, we'll see the Empire State Building and the Willis Tower hit multiple times throughout the year from various different storms. Yeah, I think uh, the average that I read on the uh, Empire State Building is 25 times or 20 to 25 times a year. Just uh, remember seeing a, a great picture just a week or so ago, a, a lightning strike and um, the Willis Tower, um, the old Sears Tower in Chicago, Hancock Tower, all of those are, or a lot of times trees that kind of big trees. I know you have a property out in the uh, hinterlands there, Mr. Dombeck. Uh, you live a little more rural than some of the rest of us. Have you ever had a tree or seen a tree get hit multiple times or anything like that out there where you live? 
just not too far, just, you know, maybe a hundred yards or so, there is a tree on top of the ridge there that has been struck over the last 15 years. It's been struck multiple times. And you can see it too, because they look, um, it almost looks like it's splinters and then the yep. the bark looks uh, off uh, offset and stuff. It, it's pretty incredible. You know, I think uh, we've done so much good information passing along in, in Lightning. I would refer people back to the summer episode three of this year, back to June 18th, 2021, was our most recent uh, interview with someone from the National Lightning Safety Council. Uh, the year before the episode six, summer 20, July 10th, 2020, Dr. Jensenius, uh, we call him Dr. Lightning is his nickname. Some real great stuff. You know that old thing, when you hear the thunder roar, you got ahead indoors. And I know I get yelled at still by my partner, Joel, to come inside, maybe waiting a little bit longer to watch the lightning come in. It, it, it's it's dangerous stuff. And I think we need to certainly take that seriously. Um, here's another um, couple of questions that we get a lot of in terms of fog. And uh, let's do these two together. So generally, a question was uh, raised, where does fog come from? And this really comes about with the process that you have when you get the temperature to the dew point. Temperature and dew point. When those two numbers are equal, that is when you get fog. And let's talk about the ways we can get it because it's different types of processes that can lead to different types of fog. When you really boil it down in very, very simple terms, fog is is a cloud, just a cloud that you, you know, and if you happen to be, it's it's, it's a cloud that happens to be like near or on the ground is, is essentially the way to look at that. And you're right. It's like it's when the air is saturated, when the temperature and the dew point reach the same level, the same temperature, they're they're equal. That means the relative humidity is 100 percent. The air is saturated. And that's essentially it. So how do you get that? There's different ways you could get fog for those living in, let's say, the interior northeast, whether it's uh, Williamsport or, you know, Wilkesbury, the Wyoming Valley or Binghamton or you know, the triple cities or Elmira, New York, or any places across the interior northeast where there's some kind of stream or river, this is fog season. Late summer, early fall, like late August into September and into October, you get so many late nights and early mornings where it's foggy. And that's a case where the air cools, cools, cools. It's clear, it's calm. The ground is sort of wet and you have the lingering moisture and, and the humidity from the summer yet. And the fog just forms in those river and stream valleys. That's called radiation fog because it just cools down because of the air radiating that heat out in the space at night and cooling down to that dew point. And you have the fog in the valleys. That's that's radiation fog. You also have advection fog. That's a case where you've got uh, maybe a warm and, and more moist air mass blowing over a cold surface. It could be the chilly ocean in the spring. Um, late winter or spring, it could be a cold snow covered ground or icy ground. And then you've got a mild air mass going over top of that. And then you get fog to form that way. Is that kind of a, the, the, the genesis of marine layer fog that we That's, talk about, right? So if you're on yeah. either coast, you know this, especially like Boston and the southeast coast of Massachusetts, where it sticks out into the ocean. A lot of times we'll start with this blanket of clouds over it. Same on the West Coast, June gloom and that kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much a good rule of thumb is that if your dew point is considerably higher, somewhat or considerably higher than the water temperature, there's going to be fog. There's going to be some degree of fog over the water. That, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. 
So we have radiational, we have advection. Is there a third kind of fog that you can get sometimes or a different process or is that the two real big ways? Well, you also have the like an upslope flow. You have a, a, a situations where the air just kind of blows uphill uh, up a mountainside or hillside. As the air rises, it cools. Eventually, it can't hold as much water vapor and it condenses. And so you'll get on the tops of ridges. You ever see those cases? I'm sure we've all seen it. And yeah, you, you know, drive you drive into the cloud basically. I, yes. I did that the other. I uh, can remember a month or so ago. You know, down low, I was in the valley and it was okay. And then I started the upslope and all of a sudden I'm in the fog and I can't see two feet in front of me. And that wasn't good. Yeah. You know, one other uh, type two to, to touch upon, uh, Dave and Dean, we've got also uh, evaporation fog too, a little bit different process from that evection fog. But probably the uh, least common, right? That's probably yeah. the least common that we see here in the lower 48. Right. So when you've got the, the colder air moving over warmer water and uh, basically then we get kind of basically what looks like steam then rising up or so in that yeah. scenario. So if you've ever seen something that looks like that, that would be the uh, the evaporation fog. And kind of just touching back on the on the process too, you know, you talked about how the air cools and condenses and we get that cloud, but also a couple of uh, ingredients too that really help aid that formation to uh, touch upon. If you've got clear skies and calm winds, those are uh, the other two two big ingredients to help that fog form or so again, especially here as we move into fall. Now, this is a, a second ancillary question that's based on the fog question. It's from um, Nell underscore Mezzo. And they say, tell me about freezing fog. It is probably the worst weather phenomenon I've ever experienced while driving and explain that. So, I mean, in a simple nutshell answer, it's when, you know, fog forms and the temperature is below freezing and it can really it can really create you know a layer of ice that it can be very dangerous and 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 cannot be seen sometimes that's what leads to a situation where that ice can't be seen uh it's really kind of sneaky where it looks like pavement but it's looks wet but it's below freezing and it's icy so did I uh, get that explanation pretty good, or can you guys add anything to that make it better? Great job, Dean. I'll I'll uh, I'll give you a, I'll give you a good solid A on that, <laughs> right. uh, and we'll we'll continue uh, with a uh, you know just add a little bit more on that. But no, you're right. You hit the nail on the head there, and that is honestly that's got to be one of the one of the most dangerous situations to deal with because I mean everybody knows okay a big snowstorm's coming and ice storms coming, you know, these big events, everybody knows and they gear up for that. But this is one of those, like these sneaky things that you just, oh, it's foggy, you know, whatever. And you don't pay attention. It's 30 degrees or 28 degrees out and it's foggy. It's like, hello, you know, right. like all should be going on right. in your head. You better be careful. And especially bridges and overpasses are the, uh. they're, they're the ones most prone to getting that because, and why is that? The ground, the roads are, are on the ground. Most roads are on the ground surface. And it could be a time of year where maybe the ground is still relatively warm. It's like in November, it's early in the season or it's later in the season. The ground's not frozen. So that could just be wet. You just kind of have a wet. But the thing with, a, with an overpass or a bridge, you're elevated. And what do you have underneath the bridge or overpass? Air. 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 And so it cools it more. And that's why uh, those places are are the places you really have to watch for that. Whatever you want to call that, you know, <laughs> right. that, that sneaky ice. Uh, yeah, very, very thin. It, it, it's, yeah, it's I, I, that's, that's the point I was going to make, Dave. It's just, it's so 
thin and and you think oh i just had a couple of drops of drizzle with it it shouldn't be bad and it just it doesn't take much it doesn't there there doesn't have to be a half inch of ice between your tire and the car to send you in a big problem exactly and a little thing on on the fog too like we were saying about the other types of fog and like that the clear skies and the calm wind just sort of a little add-on for what we had uh, talked before you could have those same conditions you could have the moist ground clear skies light winds and it's july 4th and there's no fog no fog forms but yet on labor day it does and why is that because the night is longer. The it nights get longer, up. yep. Yes, that's the whole key there, late summer, early fall. Everything else being equal, you just have longer nights then, and it allows the air more of a chance to cool down to the saturation point at night. And one thing you'll notice, too, is then it lasts longer as well. So yes. uh, in the summer, you know, you may get a fog for about an hour, and then boom, it's rolled out. Um, whereas we get, you know, spring, early spring, and towards late fall, that episodes of the fog can last much longer into the morning hours, too. In fact, some places can stay overcast and foggy like that, low clouds. You know, that's an interesting thing, too. I mean, some people kind of get a little bit uh, confused between what's the difference between low clouds and fog. I really I think it's where you are. Right. So if I'm in the middle of that cloud and I'm uh, on the top of a bridge or on the top of the mountain, to me, that's fog. But from another point of view, if I'm down on ground level in New York City, it looks like low clouds because it's it's not cloudy. It's not foggy where I am, but above is that layer of cloud. So it's an interesting designation that sometimes can be just a matter of perspective. So, all right, friends, that's uh, our halfway point. We're going to take intermission here. The three D's are going to regroup, get a little bit of um, sustenance here, maybe a little snack, maybe a little drink. And when we come back, we're going to answer a couple of more questions as we do three D's here, answering your questions and everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. This podcast is sponsored by the NHTSA. Every year, children die from being left alone in cars. If you see a child left unattended, call 911 immediately. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. This is our first back-to-school series episode of 2021 as we kind of go back to school ourselves here a little bit and talk some questions and answers. We've talked to you and we've gotten some um, ideas about things that you want to know about. We've been answering those questions so far with our three Ds, Danielle Niddle, Dave Dombeck, and myself, Dean DeVore. And again, the premise of this with three Ds, you should get an A answer. In our first segment, we talked talked about lightning. We talked about fog. We talked about freezing fog. Now, a couple of more questions to go through with the three Ds. This one comes from Mimosa48 is the handle from Twitter. And the question is, how does rain get through that layer of clouds? I'm going to assume the premise of this. You can have days and times that look amazingly threatening, like the clouds are so dark and they just look like at any moment it's going to burst. And yet you don't get any rain. And then there's days the sun's peeking through the clouds a little bit. And all of a sudden you can get a pretty heavy shower or some raindrops. I guess the the issue is why are sometimes the raindrops getting to the ground and other times they aren't? That's how I would interpret that question. Which D other than this D goes first, Danielle or Dave? Ladies first on this one. All right, there you go. <laughs> All righty. So, you know, you've, you've got pretty much kind of your, your basic premise here of warm, moist air rising, cools, condenses, and you start to get the cloud formation above. And, uh, 
you've got uh, basically tiny droplets of water basically um, forming and sitting on what we call cloud cloud condensation nuclei. So you start to get these little water droplets. They start to continue to to grow. And eventually the droplets get heavy enough, large enough that they can no longer be supported in the air. So that's when we start to see them falling in the form of of rain. You start to see that precipitation falling. So that's kind of the the background anyway of of the generation of of getting the formation of rain. So it kind of basically, it, it just goes again to, you know, kind of what we call to like the updraft, the rising motion. Once again, the water can't be supported by that. That's when we get it starting to fall from the ground. So let's uh, let's break that down just a second. The nuclei. I mean, yes, it could be a piece of dust. Mm-hmm. It could also be another super cold, cooled water droplet. So sure. when you're up in those levels of the atmosphere, right, you don't necessarily water forms and actually can be in a water state below the freezing level. There's processes yes. that happen. So that becomes kind of the magnet. So what I think about it is, you know, you get that first little tiny, teeny, teeny drop and it becomes a magnet for the other vapor around it to say, hey, come visit me, come stay with me. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden as that drop gets bigger and bigger, it's weightier and gravity, you're right, takes over and it has to come down. And again, the key to that, as Danielle said, is to get moisture, we have to mostly have an uplifting process. So the the general airflow, Dave, right, has to be going upwards. That can be accomplished in a lot of ways. Geography can take it up. Mountains can take it up. Um, the flow from like a lower, say, sea level up just even incrementally it doesn't have to be mountains. Just that little rise, as you see, like we see in the Piedmont of Pennsylvania, and it starts upsloping over the hills. That or the actual air, the atmosphere can produce uplift, right? Because of two systems coming together with contrary flows and they hit each other and boom, now we've got uplift. So there's different ways to get that uplift, but ultimately that's what we need. And then that starts the process that Danielle and I have talked about. You can hit the home run after anything that Danielle and I've missed there. No, you guys uh, really covered uh, basically just about everything. And you're right, Dean, you know, to get that air to you have to get the air to rise. The air rises and it cools and it condenses. And like Danielle said, eventually the droplets, everything, it, it just overwhelms things. And it gets to the point where you can't hold those rain droplets up there anymore. They have to come down the weight of them. They have to, they have no choice to come down, but you have to get to that process. And so, you know, you continue to rise the air uh, lift the air, it condenses more and more, that process goes on. And eventually you just have so many of these droplets that are so heavy, they have no choice. They have to come down. But, you know, you're right, uh, bring air streams together. Um, you, you know, you have a westerly wind and, a, and an easterly wind, and they're converging along a front, some kind of a boundary. And air, at that point, you got two things crashing into each other, that air has to go somewhere. It can't go down into the ground. Right. It has to go up. That's what happens, even like a sea breeze. And then the other thing I think, too, is how much, and we talk, talk the, the meteorological jargon is P-watt, right? Potential water in the atmosphere. How moist is that atmosphere to begin with? Yeah, the, the, the P-watts or the precipitable water amounts, it, it essentially kind of gives a, an idea of like how much water is actually in that particular air mass on, on that particular day. How much fuel's in the tank? How much fuel's in the yeah. car to be able to give you, you know, eight inches of rain in output or only a half an inch or a quarter of an inch? Interesting stuff. 
Appreciate that question from Mimosa48. I think uh, Danielle will be having a mimosa or two down in uh, Myrtle Beach here at the end of the week with her vacation. We got one more question we're going to cover here on this segment, and it's not going to be the last one of 3D. So I think it's gone swimmingly well, and we want to do this again. So here's the final question, and, and, it, and it's a good one. Why do hurricanes and tornadoes form in certain months? A lot of it has to do with where you are in the meteorological year and what your part of the world, what your atmosphere at that point is doing versus others. Yeah, really, um, very simply, like with the with hurricanes or hurricanes, tropical storms, any kind of tropical feature, pretty much um, they are uh, an entity. They're, they're a phenomena that happens over water. They form, they don't form like over, you know, North Dakota or in the center of the uh, of a continent somewhere where it's landlocked. They form over water and over warm water. And the key number, the magic number you have to look for there in Fahrenheit is about 80 degrees. Uh, that's the magic number. Now think about it. Uh, do you have 80 degree water temperature off the Jersey shore in January? No way, no way, not even close. Uh, or even off of Myrtle Beach or, you know, uh, so even off of Florida. Uh, yeah, it's a warm water, Southern Florida, but it's not 80 at that point. Maybe down farther south it is, but then you have other factors. So water temperature is really key. And that's why, you know, your hurricane season in the Atlantic Basin, for example, is, you know, you're starting around June 1st, or now they're talking about bumping it to May 15th, and then going till the end of, of uh, November. And so that's when the water typically is, is the warmest. And it really spikes up there in late summer now, you know, mid-August on through September when the water is at its absolute warmest. So that's really the key thing. And of course, Northern Hemisphere, that's what it is. Southern Hemisphere, it's just the opposite. Their time for hurricanes, you know, tropical systems is in our winter. That's their summer. Danielle, I guess the question then too would be, if you look at it this way, to the point that Dave just made, a hurricane starts over water and then eventually comes over land and interacts with land and it can change the dynamics of the system. Tornadoes can happen either way. I mean, there can be a land started a tornado that becomes a water spout because it goes over water or vice versa. It's a water spout over water. And then as soon as it comes on land, it becomes a tornado. I guess more so uh, for us in the, in the United States, why do we have a tendency to see tornadoes mostly in the spring and summer, not so much in the winter? I don't think it's as much temperature driven as the hurricane situation is. Right, right. I was going to say you're not quite as, uh, you know, limited in terms of, of the factors there. And, you know, when we start getting into, you know, again, the, the spring months or so with regards to tornadoes, we start to get larger thunderstorms developing, you kind of get more significant air mass clashes, so to speak. So there's still a little bit of a temperature kind of factor in there, depending on it on exactly the setup or so, but you start to see kind of stronger systems colliding with more warm, moist air. So you start to get more instability, lift, again, you got moisture, those are the three ingredients we look for, for starting to see thunderstorm development. And we start to see kind of those clashes a lot too, in particular across uh, the central part of the country, you know, a lot of places, a lot of that area is still considered to be tornado alley. And then from there, with that thunderstorm development, you start to see 
kind of, you know, the atmosphere becoming, I guess, if you want to say agitated, start getting spins and kind of going back to what we talked about with the rain formation too. Once you get that lift and kind of lift that spinning motion up, that's when you start to look for that tornado formation to form. So uh, again, you got kind of multiple processes at play or so that can result in that. That's kind of more the, the more common one, but you're not quite as limited again, as Dave said, with regards to, to just the temperature factor alone there. Yeah. And with uh, just a follow-up on that, Danielle, with the, with the tornado and, you know, the severe weather, the severe thunderstorms and tornadoes, uh, you really need the fuel for any kind of storm like that is, is warm, humid or hot, humid air. That's what you right. need. You absolutely need that. You know, Now, in the springtime, you have some other factors that sort of outweigh that and you don't need it to be 90 degrees with a dew point of 75. It might be 70 with a dew point of 58 and that's enough to get a thump because you have other factors. It, 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 near the surface, that's necessary, but you also need colder air aloft and you need a lot of wind aloft. And so you could have the warm, humid or hot, humid conditions in late summer, like now, but you don't get as much of the severe weather. You don't get as much of the tornadoes. Why? Because generally speaking, there are exceptions. You have less wind. The winds aloft aren't as strong now as they are back in April and May and June. And the temperatures aloft are usually at their warmest point now. Um, so again, there's exceptions to the rule, but you kind of need the both to interact with each other, the low level, warm, humid or hot, humid air. And you need a lot of wind aloft and, and turning of the wind speed, uh, wind direction and so forth. And you need those colder temps aloft. You need that contrast, that clash, like Danielle was talking about. Interesting stuff to keep track of. I'll tell you what. Danielle and Dave, I'm really pleased with the questions that we were receiving and, and getting here. And there's so many more. We're just out of time here on Everything Under the Sun for this week. I enjoyed our first session of the 3Ds. And we're going to talk to the producers and figure out how soon we can come back and do this again. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. The The questions were great. They were, again, very, uh, very informative. I'm sure a lot of people out there have been wondering the same thing. So uh, I say, you know, keep them coming and, uh, you know, definitely we'll be back again to, to answer more. Yep, Dave, I you love it. it. Yeah, you I love, love this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave, fun. Dave's a communicator, friends. And and so I think all of us here at AccuWeather, well, we have to be. That's our job. But <laughs> we, we love trying to teach. And, you know, the best thing is, and, I, and I've been running into this, as frustrated as we all can be when somebody says something to you meteorologically, not that astute, <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> Um, you kind of get a little frustrated, but then I've had a couple of things repeated back to me that I've been pushing on the air in certain situations, and it's really good. So I'm, I'm glad we're getting this opportunity to educate with the 3Ds. Danielle Niddle, Dave Dombeck, it's been a pleasure to the two of you. Thanks for being with us on Everything Under the Sun. Friends, that'll do it for this episode. And as we said up top, uh, we have a lot of folks here at AccuWeather that have been working amazing hours. I know some of my colleagues as... The storm Ida was unfolding here the last couple of days worked 13, 14 hours on the air and shifts as we really did our best to try to keep people up to date and informed and weatherproof their lives as much as possible. We know there's still some challenges to go through in the aftermath of Ida, not only down the Gulf Coast, but throughout the uh, Northeast and especially that Northeastern Corridor. We'll keep you up to date as we go through this holiday weekend on the weather as uh, we hope to keep it as dry as possible to clean up. We'll also keep an eye on Larry out at sea, see if that track of that storm changes right now. As we said, as the recording of this, uh, it is not looking like it is a threat to land, except for potentially Bermuda. But the mainland United States looks like it's spared. 
When we come back into uh, the second episode of the Back to School series next week, we'll actually take a look at the fall forecast, the long-range forecast for this upcoming fall and maybe a little hint at winter. See if we can get Paul Pasolak, our chief long-range forecaster, on the line to do that. And ahead in this Back to School series, I know my worst allergy season is actually this time of year, the fall with ragweed and pollen and those kinds of things, actually worse for me than spring allergies. We'll get an allergy checkup here over the next couple of weeks. Outdoor activities, college football, all the things that make fall and the back-to-school time so special. We'll talk about that in Everything Under the Sun. For those hundreds of AccuWeather team members that have been working long hours in this stormy season, in front of the camera, in front of the microphone, behind the scenes, we thank them all, and I know that you're appreciative of their work as well. We'll reconvene next week with Episode 2 of our Back to School series on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.